I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong. Where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Great day, people. Always a great day when you're in the First Gen Lounge. So incredibly excited. Always excited, aren't I? Y'all understand, this podcast thing gives me absolute life. And the person I have on the show today, this incredible woman that I have on the show today, Kayla Stores, y'all. She has been nothing but sunshine since we've connected, and I'm so glad to have her here today. Kayla, hello. Hello, hello. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to be joining you this morning, afternoon, wherever it is that you're listening, whatever it is for you. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Just say top of the AM all day. You good. You got it. (laughs) So glad to have you here. Looking forward to hearing all of the goodness that you have to share today because, you know, we talked a few months ago and we just hit it off and man, so much to share. Oh, it was so great. Yes, absolutely. So if I can go ahead and ask the infamous starter question, tell us all about you. Who are you and what is it that you do? Wow. Such a simple question, yet so much to unpack in that question itself. Well, Kayla Stores, I'm originally from Amarillo, Texas. So tip top handle, the only part of the state that looks like an actual geometric shape up there. Bam, smack dab in the middle, uh, flatlands, brown grass, and a whole lot of cows. So it was 1991, and my mom was a senior in high school, was getting ready to transition to college, full ride down to a university in South Texas. She was going to study music, and she finds out that she's pregnant with me. And uh, important to note, my mom is white, my dad is black, and My grandparents, her parents at the time, happened to know that she was fond of black men. And so when she let them know that she was pregnant, their first question was, are you having a black baby? She says, yep. And they said, okay, well, get rid of it or get out. And I'm hanging out with you today. So we know what she did, but it didn't come without sacrifice. They completely disowned her, wanted nothing to do with her, kicked her out of the house, cut her off financially, and left her to fend for herself. And so the first, I would say, two years, I'd say a year and a half to two years, roughly, of my life was spent in and out of homeless shelters with my mom. Hmm. And she did a really, really good job of shielding us. I say us because I've, I've got two younger siblings. She did a really good job of shielding us from the fact that we were poor but just as young kids kind of being hyper aware of our surroundings it was somewhat apparent to us or at least to me it was and I knew that she was working her butt off just to make ends meet a paycheck to paycheck a heavy government assistance really just trying to take care of me and take care of my siblings Um, and so education for me was always 
a huge deal. I knew how important it was. It was stressed in my school and hearing, you know, the sacrifice of my mom's full ride scholarship and her college education uh, really drove it home even more for me in terms of the necessity for a degree the necessity for a college experience and an education post high school. And so I just kind of dug into all things school. I was very, very smart. I loved to read and was an amazing writer and just kind of found my escape from the not so ideal circumstances at home in all things school. So fast forward senior year, um, I happened to have learned about the Gates Millennium Scholarship pre-senior year, told myself I was going to do it because who doesn't want free money like a full ride, started that application, struggled through it. I think I, I think of myself as having run a marathon and gotten to the last leg and I drug myself across that finish line with those eight essays. Hmm. But all hard work paid off in that I was awarded the Gates Millennium Scholarship April of 2010 and chose to attend the University of Oklahoma where I received two bachelors in health studies and African African American studies. Went on to the University of Kentucky uh, where I pursued a master's of public health. And that was awesome because my Gates was going to fund the entire portion of that education. But the university also came in and offered me a full fellowship with stipend money. And so it's almost as if I had just this whole pool of money that was like, hey, Kayla, come and join us. And upon graduation with my master's of public health, I actually took a, a career path change. So I had accepted a position in Seattle. I was going to be working with Planned Parenthood up there as a bilingual sexual health educator, which at the time was everything that I wanted and so much more. And an opportunity arose in higher education. And I found that a lot of the same theories, practices, and explanations for lack of access to health education could be directly applied to the application and explanation of lack of access to higher education. And not surprisingly, the same folks that lacked access to health information and health education also tended to lack access to higher education. Mm. So it was a smooth transition. And uh, I now serve as the Associate Director for Diversity Enrichment Programs at the University of Oklahoma, where I work with high school students, largely high school seniors, underrepresented students, largely first-generation, underrepresented, low-income students, those students who were me like 10 years ago, I'm now (laughs) turning back and providing that assistance and walking them through that process and being that one person sometimes that just gives them that ample encouragement and empowerment to really own who they are and to own this experience walking into a college education. And so that working on my PhD. I'm actually, I started working on my IRB application this morning. So I should be ABD, all my dissertation by October and jumping in, doing some research, really just trying to change the world out here. And I don't say that lightly. I used to joke about it because that's kind of how I felt. But the more that I do the work and the more that I see, you know, the practical and the realistic implications of the work that I do, I realize that there's nothing joking about that. I am really out here trying to change the world. And I don't know if you can hear in my voice, I'm smiling so, so, so very heavy right now because I love what I do and am really just blessed to be in a position that allows me to use my first and experience to contribute to a passion that changes lives, that breaks generational cycles, that opens doors. It's just, it's amazing. So 
a lot there to unpack even further, but quick snippet of kind of who I am, how I got here, what I'm doing, and yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have a story that I can never hear enough. Because let's just say you started in poverty. Let's start with that. In a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Girl, I'm sorry. I'm a little moved right now. You started in poverty and ended up being a Gates Millennium Scholar. Yes, ma'am. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. It's not every day. It's not every day. And how wonderful it is to be able to. I'm so sorry. I'm having this moment right now. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Eve. Whew, how wonderful it is to know that in spite of what you've been through, that somebody is looking out for you, that there is favor on your life and that there's opportunity and that there's hope. A, a complete plucking out of that situation to prepare me for something so much greater. I'm a God-fearing woman also, so I can't oh, yeah. even attempt to deny that any of this was done by myself. It's actually crazy to think. I remember early on in my senior year, we had a guest pastor at my church at the time, and he was talking about the power of vision and really seeing and speaking things into existence. And he had this little activity where he passed out these small colored pieces of paper through the aisles. And he says, what are you praying for? What are you hoping for? What are you trusting God for right now in this moment? I want you to write it down on your piece of paper. And I want you to put it somewhere where you can see it every single day. And I want you to pray over it daily. And then I want you to watch as those things that you consistently and faithfully pray over come to fruition. My paper was orange. And I remember the only thing that I wrote on it was the Gates Millennium Scholarship. It wasn't even a full sentence. I just wrote the Gates Millennium Scholarship. Wow. And I taped it to my mirror. And every day, even just seeing it, sometimes it was a full, elaborate, eloquent prayer. Other days, it was a very quick the Gates Scholarship. God, I trust you. You've got me. And so when I got that packet in the mail and was able to take that orange piece of paper that I had been praying over and sit it right next to this folder that was congratulating me on becoming a part of the cohort, I couldn't help but just feel completely immersed in God's faithfulness and yes. hearing that, Kayla, I've got you. And this is literally just the beginning. And that's exactly what it became. I, you know, the, the Gates and then all of the great things that have taken place post that as a result of the Gates, but Gates being just the beginning of something that is so much greater than I am and is not even fully to fruition yet. I can't wait to see it, you know, at, at, at its maximum capacity. But, you know, for the time being, really just thanking him in all things and moving according to his plan because it's so much bigger than me. Oh gosh, it is. It absolutely is. And you know, the thing that really gets me is even not just the, the aspect of you haven't been in poverty, you being biracial in the absence of a parent, what that looks and feels like. And then to be this young biracial girl who you look at and automatically think she's just a light-skinned black girl, I'm sure. So to still be of color and how you show up in the world with all of the things against you, to be a woman, come on. So many things that 
you were probably told you couldn't be and you wouldn't be, how society looked at you because of what you were and still you rose. It is powerful what hope you give in your work daily. I love this. So especially for that, that young woman, that young man even who's listening to this, you will be okay. Oh, absolutely. You're going to be fine. <laughs> you are proof of it. And you are intelligent, you know, because some people like yourself who come from such situations, they don't see a way out and they don't believe in anything more because they just can't see it. You know, they become bound to it. So thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, I see it daily. Yeah, you see it daily. That, that exactly. Students just unable to even envision themselves in big places like these because of mm. the surroundings. So how then do you encourage those students? So I am a storyteller. Oh, yeah. Naturally, I found that I communicate the way that I like to receive communication. And I engage with folks in a way that keeps them wanting more. Um, not intentionally. I think it's it's really just kind of the, the, the passion. And when I allow my passion to, to speak for me, um, everything else just kind of falls into place. But, you know, when I'm speaking with my high school students, I am very transparent about my story and my background because I understand the power that's in that. And sometimes students really just need to hear and see that I don't know what your situation is at home, at school. I don't know what you're going through or what internal, you know, mental struggle you may be battling with in terms of what higher education looks like or what your identity is or who you are and where you're supposed to be going and what you're supposed to be doing in this world. I don't know any of that, but I know that for a population of first generation students specifically, but underrepresented students as a whole, we have so many shared experiences that put us in a position to connect with each other. And so with me being transparent about my story, living in a homeless shelter, not knowing my dad. So, you know, that that's a whole other conversation in itself in terms of, you know, being biracial and being seen by the world as black and being raised by my mom as white and not really owning or understanding any of my blackness until I get to like junior or senior year of high school and really not even being able to live within that until I get to college. Mm. And so the vulnerability that comes with sharing my story is something that allows students to see themselves in me and to see themselves in places like this. Mm. And I think a lot of times when I'm meeting with students even if I'm not sharing the intricate details of my story, or if I don't have time to really go in depth or, or share too much, period, it's an acknowledgement of who they are. And it's an acknowledgement of all of these things that, that society tells them that they can't do because of who they are, because of the color of their skin, because of the neighborhood, because of the high school that they're graduating from, because of their parents' income level. And so I'm acknowledging all of these things that society tells you that you can't do. Research tells you that you can't do. The numbers and the statistics are all stacked against you, but sometimes all it takes is just one person. Yes. So we're going to acknowledge all of that. And I'm going to stand in front of you and tell you all it takes is one person to believe in you and to trust yes. in your ability to succeed and to empower you and to hold you accountable. And guess what? I'm here and this is what I do. So how can I be that for you? How can we take all of these numbers and all of these statistics and all of these negative associations of who we are, debunk every single one of them and step into a point in a place 
of greatness within ourselves that allows us to really truck through these obstacles and these barriers that we find ourselves facing and obtain that degree mm. or secure that job or get accepted into that institution and take that first step towards breaking a generational cycle and creating a foundation for the future, for our families, for the people that have encouraged us, for the people that sacrificed for us to be able to be here. Mm. You know, you saying that reminds me so much of why I do what I do. And I'll share, and I think this may be the first time I'm actually sharing it in, in this light. I started this podcast, of course, first for it to you know, be about finding purpose. And it evolved March of last year to where I just wanted to interview other first gens to talk about their life experiences because I wanted to help other first gens. And as the show has continued to grow, I look back and I said, oh my gosh, when you look at these people, it's giving others an opportunity to see who and what they can be. And the moment that hit me, I said, wow, wow, this is really what it's all about. It's the story, like you said, telling your story. You got to tell your story. You got to tell your story. You can never tell your story enough because no one has a story like you do. It's completely yours. And then to be able to see, like I tell, I said all the time, people, black men, young black men believe they can be president now because Barack Obama ever exists. Mm -hmm. You know, we believe that we can be uh, surgeon generals and brain doctors, uh, neurological <laughs> surgeons. There we go. And, and we can we can be so much because somebody has has gone there. And I've heard someone say recently, we had to stop telling these come up stories. And I absolutely disagree. What? Because if you don't if you don't know what the come up is, the assumptions are too many. If I feel like you come from wealth and you don't get my story, it's not that you can't empathize, but I need to know that you get it because there are some sensitivities that come with what I've been through that if you haven't been through it, you may not understand. Absolutely. You may be a little bit harsh with me. And so I feel like we have to tell our come up stories because we're still coming up and it's going to be a long time before we catch up. <laughs> But we're here and, and we and it's possible. So thank you for that reminder of telling the story and being the person that we all need for each other. Oh, there's power in that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've also moved into teaching as well. Yes. That's something I, I know mm -hmm. about you, right? Tell us about that because you're a PhD and you're an educator and you're associate director. Like, so I'm like, girl, what don't, what don't you do? <laughs> I mean, but that's it's nice of it because you found your love in all these things. So what is the teaching experience like for you, too? So well-rounded. I love it. I, oh my goodness. So I teach, I'm going, going on three years now. I teach intro to African and African-American studies. And I got my undergraduate degree in, in AFAM. And so when I transitioned back here, the, the opportunity arose. It's actually crazy because I was thinking, okay, I'm coming in. How can I get as involved as possible? I would love to start teaching. And so I reached out to the chair of the department for a meeting to see if I could teach. And in that meeting, she was like, hey, like before I even had the opportunity to ask, she was like, hey, you're back and you have your master's. You want to teach? <laughs> and so I've got an intro to African African American studies class, and it is probably one of the most fulfilling experiences to date for me. My students come from all over the place. And so I've got some students, usually the class is a pretty good breakdown of, I'd say about a third of black students, 
maybe a quarter white students, a quarter to a third white students, and then the rest is a mix of some of our other underrepresented students, our Latino students, our Asian students. We've got some Southeast Asian students. But I get to teach African-American history starting from way before slavery all the way to today and connecting the experiences of African-Americans today to the historical experiences of our ancestors from hundreds of years ago. And it's amazing to just see eyes opened in mm. real time. And I always kind of preface my class and let them know on the very first day of school, hey, this is coming from an Afrocentric perspective. Your K through 12 education has always come from a Eurocentric perspective, meaning that you've gotten a white man's version of a white man's history. And so I'm going to give you the other side of the story because we know there are always two sides to every story. What you choose to do with this information is completely up to you. I am not here to brainwash. I am not here to make you think any sort of way. I am simply here to provide information and to bring to your awareness that there is another side of the story that impacts the lives and the experiences of African-Americans in this country. And you should be aware of that. And we're gonna talk about racism. And we're gonna talk about white supremacy and police brutality and mass incarceration and the school to prison pipeline and systematic oppression and all of these words. And I'm gonna make you feel really, really uncomfortable. But I don't apologize for that because discomfort facilitates growth. Mm. And we live in a world where you have to understand some of the experiences of people that don't look like you. And so we go into everything from pre-slavery, the ancient civilizations in Africa that were thriving with minerals and resources and economies and all of that fun stuff to, you know, slavery after slavery and Juneteenth. So I'm teaching a summer class now and my students had never heard of Juneteenth. My black students are looking like, mm -hmm. what is this? And just the historical background that goes into Juneteenth itself, they're looking at me like, what? Oh, right. You know, today we went over the Black Panther Party. And so teaching them kind of the context of the Black Panther Party and the 10-point program and the free breakfast program and even just the, the significance of the mascot itself, a Black Panther being one that doesn't actually strike first. They're very, very protective animals. Like if you come to them, they're actually going to retreat. But if you pursue aggressively, that's when they attack and understanding the context of the Black Panther Party at that time. And so you get just so many questions and I see eyes just wide and light bulbs going off in their heads like, oh my goodness. And then working with white students who I get to train to be allies and advocates for their Black peers through simple education through simply providing you a historical background for an entire population of people whose humanity was disregarded. What do you choose to do with this information? Mm -hmm. And letting them know, hey, there's, there's no such thing as not racist. Either you are anti-racist or you're racist. And that sounds so very like direct and ugly and no one likes to hear that, but the responsibility that comes with that and understanding that silence is complicity or complicitness, whatever the word is, you know, being complicit, <laughs> you know, and so really having these tough conversations with college students in discussions where sometimes we go back and forth or students will go back and forth, but in a healthy dialogue. And it's just amazing to see even in the classroom setting, like the impact that I get to make by simply providing history. My class is actually one of the one of the most highly sought out classes in the department. I've got a wait list 
every semester, uh, students are like, hey, Kayla, are you teaching? Can I take your class? It won't let me enroll. Can you give me clearance? And ironically, I'm the only one in the department that doesn't have a PhD just yet. So Ooh, it's, it's all right. Awesome. <laughs> just kind of being in that position and knowing the, the relationships that I get to build, but the the lives even in that sense that I get to that I get to change. And then I picked up another class this fall semester, so I'll actually be teaching um, AFAM again and a gateway to college learning class for incoming freshmen. Oh, I love and that. my specific population of students are first generation students. So I am. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to have fresh like freshmen, first generation coming in and this class is a foundation for navigating this campus so I get to uh, connect them with resources and with people that are going to contribute to their success here I get to serve as that mentor and that motivator when midterms comes around and they've never done this before and they're freaking out I, I am so excited for the different things that are going to happen in this class because it's the first time that I'll be teaching the gateway to college learning class and there's so much that I can do with it and it, it's very important for this specific population of students in terms of their success and their retention here. And so I I don't know if I could ever see myself not in the classroom. I, mm. I don't know. We're two of a kind because I loved higher ed. I still love higher ed, but within higher ed, nothing, nothing did it for me like being in the classroom to be able to tap into the minds of young people, which I mean, I'm not old, but you know, the younger, younger people, Mm -hmm. these, like I said, these fresh students, freshmen, first year, but even through seniors, like the college student is the most amazing group of people to me on the face of this earth because of what they stand for, that transition, that power, that education, that that network, that ability, that connection across the world you get when you go to college. Even at my small private HBCU in Raleigh, I met people from all over the place and I love that. But then for you to be leading, like you said, leading being the very example, there's a level of understanding that will come from you as an instructor that will make that experience so much more powerful for them. And so I'm like, round of applause, you know, like this is amazing and so necessary. And what would happen, you know, if if more institutions recruited the first gen faculty and staff and put them into these first year classes Mm -hmm. with just first year students, it would change the game completely. And I I loved it when I worked at, you know, an HBCU and I had these first year students. Oh my gosh. All I saw was them and myself in them really. And to make those deep connections that to where now, even after I left my job, I'm still connected and not just connected on the surface, connected deeply because there were stories and conversations we could have that I knew I could go there with them because they would get it. So that's really, that's really awesome. And I'm really excited for you and looking forward to what's going, you know, to happen for you. But speaking of, of that, well, what's next for you? What, what are you thinking is is going to come up next? You know, (laughs) I laugh because I feel like I am in a season of complete uncertain transition in that oh I like that a lot I like that I know I'm transitioning um I know that I am coming up on the end of one season and they got us preparing me for another even better season but I have no clue 
what that season is going to look like. I had plans for myself, knowing that I'm getting this PhD, kind of looking at a couple of different opportunities, putting some things out there, and trying to create things for myself preemptively. And they didn't shake out too well. <laughs> and God just kind of sat me down and was like, hey, chill out. I got you. And so I've kind of taken a step back from planning any like major career moves or anything of that sort next. But uh, I do know that ultimately speaking, independence is near. I, I refuse to work for the man for the rest of my life. And as much as I love my university, as much as I love higher education, and I think it's such an amazing, uh, you know, game changer for so many people, so many students. Yeah. The, the the deeper that I get into it, and the more that I see the politics of things, um, the more that I see how the system itself is built to benefit some students at the expense of others. It, mm. I, I try really hard not to get discouraged sometimes, um, and, and instead am constantly seeking the, an answer to the how can I contribute here question. What can I do to make this place a little better for the students who so desperately deserve a space that, that welcomes them with open arms? But long term, unless it's just teaching. If I could teach and not have to worry about the politics of a university, that would be an absolute thing. But I also know that my heart and my passion will always be in, you know, creating access and opportunities for students to even experience that which college has to offer. And so I really want to transition into a consulting role, a multifaceted consulting role in which I'm working with uh, institutions of higher education, their admissions department, um, evaluating how they are recruiting their first generation students, how they are uh, creating programming to prepare their first-gen students for admission into their institution. And then on the flip side, working with high schools and how they prepare their first-gen students for college. And some of the different programs and things that they're doing or that they're not doing, their curriculum, and kind of serving as that middleman, that liaison, connecting students to adequate resources and preparing institutions, both K-12 through and higher education, to serve our first-gen students, to meet them where they're at and to create an environment that is supportive, that is inclusive, and that is dedicated to their success. So consulting, motivational storytelling. I am not a motivational speaker whatsoever. I don't speak. I tell stories. That's just the way the mm. words tend to flow from my tongue. It's very natural. And so oh, yeah. you give me a mic and a group of students and I just go and I love it. I, it, it's, it's a huge bucket filler for me and seeing high school students, college students from all over the place, really just getting that dose of, of, of encouragement that they need, of motivation that they need, of just seeing someone in front of them that's been there and that's done that and that's here to pour into them. I can't, oh, the feeling is like no other. Um, I anticipate the day when I'm standing on a stage with a house full of thousands of young people. And I'm speaking that into existence now because I understand that my stage is the stage that I am practicing on, we'll say. The stage that I am being prepared yes. on now is just that. It's a practice platform for something so much bigger. Yes. The, the motivational storytelling, the educational consulting. Um, I also facilitate diversity trainings for staff development as well as workshops along the 
lines of how to best serve first-generation students. And I've got a couple of workshops that I've done for our resident advisors. I'm doing a couple of workshops for some corporations here in the Oklahoma City area, training their staff on diversity and inclusion, because I think it's just so, so very important. And uh, really just, again, I, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I'm dedicated to working for myself, doing something that I love and changing lives in the process. And it's crazy when I articulate that, how outlandish that may sound to some people. Like, oh, you have these really big pipe dreams. And to some, that's exactly what it sounds like. But knowing where I'm at and seeing everything that I've experienced previously, I have no doubt that I am more than capable of bringing this vision into fruition. And so that's kind of where my mind is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great start. Yeah. And I'm also open to whatever it is that the man upstairs has got cooking for me because I understand that there are also some things that I will never be able to envision for myself. And so I have an idea of what I would like to do. I'm trusting him in all things and working toward the creation of a website. I'm actually working on my website now. So the plan and the goal is to have it live by like September 1. So you all can hold me accountable. But yeah, I'm just really trying to put myself out there and allow my story and my passion to take me places that will put me in positions to impact the masses again so very broad in general but so very important and yes. so necessary yes so we're at a point and i, and I say this because i i could talk forever yes <laughs> you and i when know. i'm doing these when i'm doing these interviews because it's just like man it's, it's the connecting it's the understanding it's like the these my people like i get it I, i'm feeling it i'm and i'm learning myself but i, I just the, the last two and and this is perhaps one of my favorite questions to ask guests I can't wait to hear your answer, of course. So what is the one thought that you want to leave us with to carry with us for the rest of our lives? Okay. This is so very simple, but it's so very vital to anyone's existence, specifically our first-generation students. And it is simply that you are, we are, I am more than enough. Yes. We tend to allow our environment, our surroundings, and the buzz of society to shape how we see ourselves. When we don't see ourselves in certain spaces, when we don't see people that look like us in certain spaces, when our high school counselors and teachers are turning over every single year and we have no consistency, and when we're hearing from our principals that the goal is just to graduate high school. We're not too worried about what happens afterward. Or when we're in professional spaces where we're really trying to do this impactful work and it seems like we're just not getting anywhere and we get discouraged and take a step back and try and think about what's the point? I'm just me. I'm just little old me. Little old you is more than enough. And all it takes is that one step, that believing in yourself. And it's so, I don't know, it sounds weird saying it because it's nothing that we haven't heard before. Growing up, they tell you, believe in yourself all the time. It's on elementary school posters and classrooms and things of that sort. And we feed into it when we're young and then the older we get we tend to forget that. Or we think it's this cliche, what is believing in myself actually going to do? I need action. But understanding that there are specific spaces that are waiting for us. There are people 
that are waiting for the gift that you have to offer. You are the answer to someone's question. You are the solution to someone's problem. Mm. And all it takes is stepping into that greatness, whatever it looks like. Because unfortunately, when we choose to not do that, or when we allow ourselves to be discouraged, we are preventing other people from benefiting from the greatness that we possess. We are uh, stripping our peers of the opportunity to interact with that which we are able to provide. I think everyone has a gift, a talent, a passion, and there's so much that can be done with it. Your experiences, your background, who you are, your identity in itself, so full and all-encompassing. And I don't even know where you're at, where you're from, how you got here. I don't know who exactly I'm speaking to today, but you are so much more than enough and the world is waiting on you to step into that. Don't ever allow yourself to be discouraged by all of the you can'ts and all of the you won'ts and all of the negative numbers that surround you as a first generation student. Because when you look back and see everything that you've been through, every obstacle that you've encountered, Mm. that you've been able to crush, to stand exactly where you're at today, every experience that has molded you into the person that you are today, every person that you've come in contact with, every interaction that you had contribute to the greatness inside of you. And I'm never one. Don't ever compare your story and your journey to anyone else's because the exact same way that you have a gift and the world is waiting on you for something specific, this other person may have a completely different gift and the world is waiting on them for something completely different. And so the comparison is a thief of joy. Don't do it. Own you. Own your greatness. And know that you are so much more than enough. And the only person standing in front of or in the way of that which you've been called to step into a lot of times is you. And so how do we take a step back and really focus in and zone in on this future, whatever it may look like? regardless of the noise. It's like putting on noise-canceling headphones. Put on your noise-canceling headphones so that the only thing that you hear is the internal thoughts of you being more than enough and the impact that you are going to make in whatever capacity. Because I also think that we all have a capacity to impact others, regardless of what field you're in. Like some people see me as, oh, wow, you're making like literal impact, like right now in the moment because you work with high school students. Oh, I absolutely am. Trust me. I see it every single day. But that doesn't mean that someone else who doesn't happen to be in an education sector, random, you're in real estate, you're looking at real estate. Think about the opportunity that you have to impact those that you come in contact with, people's stories. Don't ever take your responsibility as not an opportunity to impact others with who you are. We are more than enough, Dr. Eve. Again, so very simple, but so, so, so very vital and important. And it has to be a rudimentary thought in your mind. It has to be the foundation of who you are because the enemy will come and tell you that you are not in multiple ways. And if you're not God-fearing, the universe will come (laughs) and it will tell you that you're not. But when you can affirm yourself, and you're constantly reminded of how much more than enough you are, you start to see that the universe will align with the energy that you are creating for yourself. 
and doors will open and opportunities will arise. And you have that to be able to step into all that you are and all that you're going to become. It's a constant growing process and there's no cap on greatness. So I think I'm pretty awesome now, but I also know that I'm just gonna get even more awesome as I continue to learn, as I continue to grow, as I continue to interact with people and take in stories that are so similar yet so completely different from mine, right? It's it's a beautiful life. <laughs> yes, it is. Whew, man, so full of wisdom and thoughts um, you are. And the energy is just so surreal. But I love it. Magnetic and it's it's beyond what... I think a lot of people are, are going to be able to understand if they're not there yet. It's easier understood than it is explained. That's the best way yeah. I can say it. You're, you're, you're dope. You're dope. You're just dope. Man, so if you will, let me just go back and say thank you. Let me just say that again for what you've dropped on us today. I knew this conversation was going to be exciting. I just didn't know how it was going to turn. And I'm still tripping out the fact that I had a whole <laughs> spill of cry. I'm like, what did what happened? What happened? It's just, I, I felt, I felt that I felt it today. I just not said, I don't feel it other days. It just, I don't know why I just hit different. It just must be the moon is doing something. I don't know. Um, but we're in retrograde. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. That, that's all. Yeah. Blame it on something. Blame it on the trees. Blame it on something. But, um, thank you so much. I want people, to be able to connect with you i'm sure there are some people who want to connect oh who is she you know i want to get to know her so if you will tell us really quickly where on the internet can we find you yes absolutely well um i want to thank you for the opportunity you've got a platform and inviting me to share this platform with you i, I can't thank you enough so all to you in terms of how you can find me okay so a couple of different mediums i you can always find me on linkedin Kayla stores. That's probably going to be the most professional outlet, like media outlet or social media outlet that you can find me on. And if we're looking at Instagram, <laughs> you won't see too much academic things on Instagram. That is my, as more of my personal kind of for fun, but feel free to jump in and engage with me. I also run a small business, a small meal prep business that you'll get some information about there too. But that is at call me K underscore L A. Get it? Call me K. Love. <laughs> Indulge me. Indulge me. Right? <laughs> um. It well, it took me a minute. When I saw it, it took me a minute. I was like, ah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I have to explain it to people sometimes. But yes, call me K underscore L A. Facebook, just Kayla Stores. Um, if you're looking for anything outside of that, you can always shoot me an email. Just K Stores. That's K S T O R R S at ou.edu for all things uh, academic or professional related. And then if you're looking for just something kind of personally, Kayla M as in Mary Stores, S-T-O-R-R-S at Gmail. So uh, pretty active. You can find me on Twitter, but I don't really do the Twitter thing anymore. So it's just a profile like two years old but I've never used so yeah <laughs> it happens it happens but Kayla again thank you so much for being here you are phenomenal and wishing you nothing nothing but the best and everything that lies ahead with your students your education and bringing to life this vision until the next time please be good to yourself and know that we've got your back thank you so much much love and all things did you go mm, 
at any point during the show, like you felt that, like it hit you. If so, that's a sign that you ought to go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Then share with all your friends, coworkers, uncles, aunts, cousins, grandmas, exes, everybody, okay? And if you like more resources to stay inspired, empowered, and uplifted as you navigate this journey of life, I want to invite you to join the First Gen family where I share only through email, exclusive insights, updates, and giveaways. You can do that by heading over to www.thepurposeprofessor.com forward slash family. I've actually dropped a link in the show notes to just make it easy for you to get there. Until next time, don't forget to be resilient, authentic, and intentional in all that you do. And no matter what, keep pressing forward. I love you. Peace.